Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and my guest today is Ken Rask, and he joins us today to share how to clearly visualize the life that you truly desire and how to achieve any goal with certainty. Now, Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college, and we're going to talk a lot about that because I think it's really important these days. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now he is a very successful entrepreneur with multiple business and revenue streams. Ken, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Listen, thank you for sending your book. It's on my desk as we speak, and I love the title. I posted a picture of it on Facebook, and people are like, oh, great title, Blue Collar Cash, and we're definitely going to talk about that. And the subtitle of the book is Love Your Work, Secure Your Future, and Find Happiness for Life. So get ready. I'm going to – I have questions about the book and what caused you to to write it and you know, why you think people really, really need to pay attention to Listen, I had for a long time um, student loan debt. A lot of us do. So we're going to talk about that as well. So anyway, welcome. I'm rambling a bit, but it's good to have you here. Thank you again. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk about this subject because it's something that we really need to shed some light on for sure. We do. We definitely do. And I must have been thinking about this in my sleep because of all things, I woke up this morning dreaming that I had been engaged to Mike Rowe. I guess I need to email him and let him know. But, you know, we're talking about <laughs> not how you know, talking about, you know, crafts and, you know, skills and not necessarily having to pay for the rest of your life for a degree that may not do you any good. Sometimes they do. Listen, I have a college degree. I'm proud of it. Nobody else cares, but I liked it. <laughs> but the thing is, I paid through the nose for it in many, many ways. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because it, I've always said that, you know, I, I've probably, over the last year or so, I've probably been on, you know, 70 or so um, podcasts and, and radio shows. And I'm always very careful to start out by saying, I am not an anti-college guy at all. No, me if, either. If, not at all. If, if, if you have a specific job waiting for you at the end of your college experience, like if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or engineer, something like that, where you go in kind of knowing what's going to happen on the other side, that, that's, that's a, a reasonable uh, reason to go there. I mean, you have a calling or maybe you have a, a really good interest in something. That's always something that you should pursue. But if you're going to college just because people tell you that you have to, and a lot of people are doing that, and, and if, if you're going to college and all you're going to get out of it is maybe some bland business degree or some liberal arts degree that you really can't use, you, you really have to think about paying all that money and going into debt for something that you may not get compensated for um, when, when, when you're done. Exactly. And you know what else? When, when I wake up, my brain is on fire. I've had to train myself to stay in bed 
and kind of examine what my dreams were about, what my subconscious was telling me about, and what's going to be important for the next, you know, the rest of the day. When I when I wake up, my mom used to say, oh, you know, the devil says, oh, God, she's awake. I've had to learn to stay in bed and examine what my day is going to look like for a little <laughs> bit. And part of that was me thinking about this podcast because this is an important topic. And one of the things that has really been in the news, and it bothers me at many levels, is this demand for student loan forgiveness. What are your thoughts on that? I I think at the end of the day, I think that kind of is a signal. To me, that's a signal that people are recognizing that we way overdid this college thing. You know, when I was in high school, and that was a few years ago, <laughs> when I was in high school, I remember when, the, when in my 10th grade econ class, the teacher said, so raise your hand if you're going to college. And probably only about 40% of us raised our hands. I wasn't one of them. Uh, I, I, I was someone that I knew. Um, I like to work with my hands. I, I like to, to be outside. I like to be doing things, building things, fixing things, creating things. So I really didn't think that was my path. So, you know, that seemed kind of balanced to me. If you think about it, if there's 167 million people working what would be considered full employment in the United States at any one time, about 70 million of those people do something with their hands. So that's about 40%. So that, that to me seems like it's kind of balanced there. Well, what, what happens is the pendulum began to swing, and this is a, a bit of a story, but when, when, they took, when they took shop class out of high school back in the 80s, they, they replaced those rooms with computers. Now, I know we all needed to learn how to use a computer. I get that. But I always wondered, why was it a binary choice, meaning, you know, this or that? Why couldn't we have had both of those things? Because what happened is you, you, you eliminated the almost accidental discovery of blue-collar jobs by, um, you know, boys and girls who, you know, mechanics and welders and plumbers and bakers and home economics and electricians, all those things were kind of eliminated from their possibility. You, you pair that up with now the fact that we're raising kids on iPhones and, and, and you know, smartphones and whatnot. So they're not, they're not even going out into the yard and, and building a tree fort like we used to do when we were kids. They're, they're building it on a little screen, which, which is the experience is, is totally different. So if you combine those two scenarios, those two pretty powerful forces with the fact that colleges are really good at marketing themselves and saying it's college or else, you're going to be a fast food worker for the rest of your life. It, they really have done a great job of, of kind of moving the pendulum from what I consider to be a balanced economy way to one side to we're, we're, we're overproducing college degrees like crazy. We're underproducing trades jobs like crazy. And now you can see the ramifications of that. No kidding. And listen, if my plumbing clogs, I am not going to call my local attorney. Not going to happen. I mean, use some common sense here. I mean, stuff happens, and we always need somebody to come fix it or work it or build it. And, you know, it's just – and listen, I have nothing against a college degree. I'm proud of mine. Like I say, I have it. I paid for it. Nobody knows about it. Nobody cares, but I've got it. But I had to go back later in life and get it, and I had a very specific goal for that degree. 
in this in computer science. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd in stiletto. So I knew what I was doing. But I also had to make the decision to, to take on that debt, which leads me to my thinking. And thank you for sharing that because everything you said resonates very clearly with me. But here's my thinking about canceling this college debt. You took that loan. You owe it. That's all there is to it in my mind. Yeah, that, I, I agree with you 100%. I think their argument is, you know, some of these some of these kids were kind of, um, it was just too easy to take out these loans, and it was just too easy to, to continue to take out these loans. Some kids I even heard were financing their food and their rent and stuff like that with, with these loans. And it, it, I, I knew that was going to be a problem. I, I was, I remember one of my nieces or nephews did that, and I was thinking, man, I don't remember you having you having the ability to just do everything for free, you know, um, when it came to these things. And and yes, there is you are going to pay the piper at some point. I think the whole reason that you know there's this movement for forgiveness, which I totally disagree with, is is just what I said earlier, which I, I think they 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 realized that wow, we have really overdone this. We've kind of put our kids in a, in a, in a position where we were guiding them to do this. They almost feel like it's kind of their fault that these kids are involved in these, in these loans at this point. So I understand that, you know, the thought process there, but just getting out of it scot-free is not the answer. No, no, it's not. And I'm glad we covered that because it was, I mean, when I woke up, I was thinking, hmm, you know, what is this all about? Why are we saying, sure, you know, you've got a really expensive degree. I mean, you paid a couple hundred thousand for it. You're probably going to double that over time with interest and, you know, all the other problems that you have. Why do I have to pay this for you? I get a little ticky about things like that. Well, especially since, you know, it's always interesting to me to listen to parents, Okay. And I, I call parents, parents are kind of like the traffic cops between the kids' high school and their future, okay, whatever mm, path whatever path. Good point. And, and, and I always, I always I'm, I'm interested because I'll listen to these parents having these conversations. Well, my son is going to this school and my daughter is going to that school. Almost like it's a trophy for them, okay? And um, I, I, I just find that interesting that, that, you have a conversation with them and you say, you know, there's a very good possibility that your child's going to invest 40, 50,000 a year in this college. That's $200,000 overall. They could go right now, become an apprentice carpenter and make 50 or $60,000 a year on the positive side. So you're really talking about going from a, from a negative 200,000 to a positive 200,000. That's a $400,000 swing in their individual asset base by the time they're 23. And, and, you know, that, that could mean a lot of things. That could mean a fully funded retirement, your first house, your first car, a savings account, all the things that you need to do to, to sustain yourself. And you, and you get to start your life right now. You don't have to wait, you know, eight, ten years to pay things off before you start your life. And I think that's the real tragedy in all of this. It, excuse me. It really is. I have a client that I've been consulting with, and she is a pretty strong attorney. And she hates it. She hates her job. She hates what she's doing. And she's trying to move away from that and become an author, a speaker, a mentor. You know, she just, she wants to help. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because you mentioned the parents. 
And her goal right now is to help the parents understand exactly what is going on with their kids when they're in law school and how to help them, or if they need to get out, how to get them out. So, you know, it was a good segue there. Thank you. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. I, I, I wrote I wrote a long letter that you can find on my website, and um, the, the letter is just a letter to parents, and, and it's, it's kind of an I get it letter. You know, I, I get the fact that, you you birthed your kids and you clothed your kids and you taught your kids how to walk and how to ride a bike and you you, you know you fed them well and you looked out for their health and you did all those things and you sent them to school and then you feel like the next natural step is okay where are they going to college i don't know where that particular next step came from because the next step should have been how am I preparing them for the best career possible for themselves? I mean, how, how am I allowing them to see all the options that the world has to offer? Because college is literally one of about five different paths you can take to become a successful person. So I kind of get the fact that this default mechanism has been happening over the last couple of decades, but somebody has to start talking about undoing that and perhaps also undoing the stigma of a blue-collar job because – I look at it at the end of the day as this, okay? Am I trying to raise an educated kid or am I trying to raise a happy child, a happy kid? And, and, and I, I'm, I'm not saying those are mutually exclusive. And what I'm saying is, is the goal to have them come out of this with a college education and then try to go be happy or is the goal just happiness to begin with? And that's where I think that we miss the mark. And that's why I think we have to undo this pendulum swing so far to one side where it's college or else. Oh, I agree with you. And one thing that I have always believed about parenting or being a child and, you know, listening to your parents is that your parents, their job, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, is to raise you with some common sense teach you linear, logical thinking, if it's possible. Some personalities, it's not possible. But to basically give you the tools that when you fly that nest, and you're supposed to fly that nest, living in your mama's basement at 30 is not an option, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk about stigma, let's talk about that. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. I mean, if you have parented your children in a strong and healthy way, you have taught them how to handle a checkbook, how to handle money, how to stay out of debt, you know, how to be good, strong thinking citizens, and they're going to keep learning. But to put them in college and to bankrupt yourself to put them in college, I don't understand it. I just don't. I never will. Again, it's, it's, it's just it, it's just a um, it's it's a like an automatic default mechanism that that yeah. occurred about, about 25 years ago. You know, I, I do a lot of coaching in in my in my career. I, I I've probably done 2,500 or 3,000 interviews in my time, and it's it's always about you know what what is in it for you to work here. I mean, we need to answer that question. And the reason I say that is because you know you bring up preparing kids. It, it's really uncanny to me when, I, when I, I, I'm sitting across from someone and I have to help them at 21 years of age, you know, establish their first bank account, establish their first credit card, or their first checking account, help them, help them clean up their license, maybe help them you know, look for their first apartment or start their 401k program. It, it, it always is, is, 
it's amazing to me how as parents, sometimes we've missed that mark because you're right. You're not just supposed to take, you know, them from high school and then hand them off to a college and think you're doing the right thing. You're supposed to be preparing them for life. And I, and I think, unfortunately, in this super busy, crazy world that we live in, we've kind of lost some of that. It's, it's more like just keep them on the path. Um, Let's not worry about how prepared they are for that path. Let's just keep them on the path because that's what we're supposed to do. Exactly. And, you know, another thing that I, I've noticed is, and it bugs me no end, as a parent, teach your children to chew with their damn mouth closed, okay? Just <laughs> try that one. <laughs> There's a start for you. Yeah. I mean it, too. <laughs> Yeah, the old the old please and thank you wouldn't help. The, wouldn't wouldn't hurt too much either. <laughs> I know exactly. I interviewed some years ago a lady who, she's a business owner, and one of the businesses she almost felt forced to create was to take these high school kids or kids out of school or kids who wanted to go to college manners. Take your hat off when you go to a table. Pull your pants up. Manners. She said it was astonishing to her and me that these kids were, you know, kind of thrust out into the, the wild, if you will, with no common sense, no manners. You know, chew with your mouth closed. I mean, I it was astonishing to me. But then I started watching people when I'm out and about, and I went, yep, she's right. <laughs> she gets yeah. it. <laughs> That's great. Um, no. Well, listen, one of the th- we've been talking about blue collar, and you kind of touched on this, that there are some amazing opportunities with blue collar work. Can you, you know, tell us a bit more about that? Because, I'm, I mean, plumbers, air conditioning guys, I mean, all of it. Where do you think people should be really looking right now that, you know, these are growth opportunities. They can make a good living and be proud of their work. I, I look at it this way. Some, sometimes you have to be a contrarian thinker. You know, they say whenever you're trying to maybe, you know, make a bet with your buddy on a football game, um, if all your buddies are betting one side, maybe you should bet the other side because there's 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 too much knowledge or supposed knowledge or or maybe you know um, they're they're too confident in that result. I, I think the same thing happens here. I think. I think anything you can do, and, and just so you know, ditch digging was number 99 on a list of 100 things for me um, when I grew up, um, but it was a means to a very good end, and, and I can see that. So I look at it this way. If, if you can find a job where you can control your own input, which means you can control your output, which means you can control the quality of your work, you can control the pace of your work, you can control your time and uh, your schedule and probably even your financial gain, that's what you have to be thinking about because I, I've said this and it, it, it's, it sometimes strikes a nerve with people, but it's, it's, if, when they think about it, they get it. Um, I don't think so much all the time that it is so important what you do for a living as it is what you do with what you do for a living. And, and you know, directing those resources that you gain, you know, the, the, the financial resources that you gain towards supporting your life, I think is very important. And, and, and being, knowing how to use that money, no matter how you got it, in what type of career, is very important to create the future that you want for yourself and the vision that you want. I know we'll talk about that in a little bit, but there, there are so many careers right now. Um, welders, for example, 
I have a friend who's a, a young lady who, who is a welder, and um, she had a two-year degree that it took her seven years to get. She had a couple of kids, and th- this, this uh, degree she had was something she just wanted to finish. She wasn't going to use it for anything, and um, she had one more class to take. It was an elective class, and one of her friends said, hey, you know, take welding. I, I took it, and I thought it was fun. Well, she did that. Before she was done with the, the, the um, semester, she already had a job um, at a local welding place, and now she stands on top of 300-foot-tall windmills welding and making $150,000 a year, and she's 27. So th- the point is, is there's a lot of surprise uh, positions out there that you wouldn't think of, jobs in energy, especially renewable energy or new energy. Um, anything in construction, carpentry, plumbing, electricians, uh, uh, again, welders, um, any of those types of things, machinists, uh, there, there are places that you can walk right in the door and make seventy-five dollars to $100,000 doing these jobs because supply and demand is working the way it is. Where supply is low, demand is high, that's where the money goes. And um, you can kind of see that in some of these these jobs. I, I drove down the street in Delta, Ohio the other day, and I saw a billboard that said, we're looking for steel workers. We're going to pay you 90000 a year to start. So when you think about that possibility, even if you only did that job for five or six or 10 years, you're going to, you're going to set yourself up for a really, really great life going forward. Oh, absolutely. One of my neighbors, this his brother-in-law, came over and knocked on my door after a windstorm that we had last year we had hurricane on top of hurricane we had four of them two of them came knocking on my door literally and they came knocking on my door they said you know you have a tree down i said no i didn't it was way back in the back on their fence line and it was about to just crush their fence and he said look my brother-in-law is here He's got a chainsaw. Can he come into your backyard and cut that tree down? I said, yeah. And, you know, I was out there. We were all out there with ropes and pulling the thing around. We got it done. I mean, it took a few hours, but God bless him, he got it done. And I got to talking with him, and he was just retired from the Coast Guard. He went in high school or young, and he just retired. And he said, listen, I want to be able to work for myself. I want to eventually create a job where I'm the boss. But he he went ahead and he went to be in air conditioning school. I don't know what you would call that, but I mean, mm-hmm. this was just early last year. He's already working his fanny off and loving it. There wasn't a lick of concern but going into blue collar. He's like, this is what's going to support my family. I enjoy the work. Yeah, and I asked him, oh, about six months ago, I said, listen, can you come back and do a little bit of yard in the work? Because I was paying him to do it while he was, you know, kind of in between. He said, I don't have time. I said, good for you. I was so excited for him. So he sent somebody else over. But, you know, you always want to support people who support you, right? He said, I just don't have time. I said, that is fantastic news. There, you, You can't, and this is one thing that people need to realize. You can't think of one white-collar job, not one, that didn't begin or has to happen because of a blue-collar job. Exactly. And, and, and that, that's the thing. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole thing about white-collar, blue-collar came about years ago when the, the office 
person who was, you know, had an office job or they were considered educated or whatever, they would have these big, thick, tall, white snap-on collars. And that was, they were a white collar person. The, the blue collar came from. Oh, when, uh, when and I have were, an image in my head. Thank you for that. Yeah. And when you were working a job where you were, you know, working with your hands out doing things like, you know, again, the jobs we just mentioned, you typically went and bought either dungarees or Levi's or these types of clothing, and it was blue. So your collars were blue. And, and that, that's where the whole thing started. Now, you know, back in the day, back in the day, you could have these these white collar people potentially looking down upon these blue collar people as, you know, as as less than they were. And I, you know, I, I guess I understand where that all came from. But today, if if, if you're out there, um, and, and you know, you can you can run your own company from a cell phone right now instead of how I started with, you know, long columns and pencils with graph paper you know, for the accounting and the bill paying and whatnot, you can run an entire business off your cell phone. If you have a pickup truck and a cell phone, you can be like this mobile office person. And and it has never been easier to start a business for yourself only because all these applications and all these services and all these apps that are out there um, are available that weren't there before. So the the whole, you know, you, you give me a guy or a gal who, as I said before, is in control of their own time, their own their own um, quality, their own stand back moment, their own money, their schedule, and and I'm going to put that up against any um, person sitting on the 15th floor in some cubicle somewhere who who doesn't know the beginning and the end of their world, like they're just a cog in a very big wheel. So I, I always I always look at that as though you know. They, it, it might be, it might be great in the in the um, higher education world to, to have that discussion about how that is such a necessity, but in the reality, when you're on the ground, uh, some of the happiest people that I know are all um, blue collar business owners, and um, and uh, I, I know some some pretty miserable rich people who um, who are in the highly educated area that, again, like you said earlier, wish they maybe wish they weren't at times. Yeah, it, we really have to decide where, and you talk about this, where our comfort, our peace, and our freedom are. And I want to kind of switch away because I want to talk about the book because everything you're telling me right now, everything you're sharing with our audience is in this book. Why did you write this, Blue Collar Cash? I do. I love that title, i got to tell you. Well, it, it started as a, a couple of things. First off, I, I have some amazing friends who went through some really amazing, serious, horrible challenges in their lifetime, only to come out on top through working very hard at something and then, you know, developing that skill and then owning their own company and being very success, successful at it. So I wanted to tell their stories. And um, at the same time, my daughter, um, she got sick. She got, she got cancer when she was 12. And um, she's fine now, but I mean that was a that was a, a pretty harrowing five years for us. And I, I remember that I dropped everything to take care of her, and um, took her all over the country getting her treatments. And I remember thinking about, okay, so now what's important in life here? What what can what lesson can I share with her that you know I'm, I'm glad I wasn't just out chasing dollars so hard that I didn't have the freedom to go ahead and help her, you know? So. 
I, I came up with these words, comfort, peace, and freedom. They just kept showing up, and they kept showing up. And I was like, you know, there's something to this. And, and I, I worked them into this triangle where they're all kind of interdependent upon themselves. So I started writing a letter to her as to what I thought was important and, and what, you know, what she should focus on in life, what, what her nirvana should actually be. Um, because everyone has their own level of what that is. You know, we're not all going to chase – uh, McMansions and 15 cars and yachts and all that other stuff. There are some very, very happy people I know that are very focused and very calm because they've set a bar for themselves that's very supportive and very helpful and their life is just wonderful. And that's their nirvana and they like it there and that's great. Um, but yeah, so I, I, those kinds of things started coming together. I was telling the stories of my friends and I was writing a letter to my daughter. And then I thought about all the coaching that I had done around the office in visualization. And uh, those things just all kind of came together. And before I knew it, I had, you know, 14 legal pads full of notes. And, and, and yes, I actually hand wrote it because I'm not really a great typist. So um, I remember I was on an airplane one time and I was writing really, you know, fervently. And my, my hands were, I was shaking my hand because it was like uh, starting to get cramp up on me. And the guy next to me said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I, I think I'm writing a book. He goes, uh, okay, I get that, but you're, you're like writing it. Like we have these things called typewriters, you know? So um, yeah, it, it was, it was a labor of love. It took me about, it took me about a year and a half to write it. I remember even I would be on the 16th hole of the golf course and I would get an idea. And then on 18, instead of stopping and having a beer with my buddies, I would like, Nope, I got an idea. I got to go. And I'd go home and I'd just write for a couple hours. So, I never really set out to write a book. It just kind of happened that way. I love that story. And I don't know about you, but when I get my great ideas, and I've shared this before, it's not news to anybody who listens to this program, but my best ideas come in the shower without fail because there's no distractions. I'm not thinking about anything other than is the temperature correct and I like my showers <laughs> hot enough to, you know, steam broccoli. So that, there you have it. But, but I'll be in there, and all of a sudden, I'm, oh, my God, I've got to write that down. And I have been known to race across, leave the shower run and race across the house naked. Thank goodness nobody <laughs> can see me in those windows and write it down and then run back to the shower. Not smart. I've got tile floors. I'm going to kill me. You're right. Day, right? You're right. <laughs> so right, right, right. anyway, I finally had this moment of you know utter brilliance, and I ordered some um, bathtub crayons, and I take them in the shower with me. And when those ideas hit, I'm scribbling all over my shower walls. Then, you know, once I'm, because, I mean, some of them, the wording is so important that I can't forget them. And I do. So once I'm out and I'm dried and I'm dressed and not having to, you know, try to kill myself to get to my office, I will take a picture of my brilliant ideas. And some of them truly are. Some of them are like, what? What were you trying to say? But I'll take a picture of it and scrub the walls and off I go. So you're right. When you ha- when those moments hit you, write them down. However you can get them written, write them down. Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I I don't know many people. Uh, at least I don't I don't know how this would work. Where let's let's assume that you want to be an author. Okay, I don't know many people who just say okay. Um, on January 1st, I'm going to become an author, and then okay, no, it doesn't work. I tried. Yeah, doesn't work. Work. I'm going to sit at this desk. And I'm going to start writing some things. 
and you know I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a book happen. Th- that isn't the way it, it, it works typically. It, it seems to me that it's always inspired by something else. And I, I got really really lucky because with blue collar cash, it, it really struck a chord. And um, I, I didn't have any idea what what I was doing other than this this pack of notes that I had. So I literally Googled editors in New York and came up with a a company and. He, he, the, the gentleman there introduced me to one of his uh, editors who was a, a wonderful gal, and we really hit it off, and she helped me kind of organize what I had. And then the process goes from there to finding an agent, and then the agent, I was lucky to land one of the top agencies in New York, and they, they, they took the book and they put it into like a marketing format, a marketing piece, and then they started moving it around. And I had six or seven publishers you know, bidding on this thing. And um, I landed um, with Harper Collins, who I, I was told they only look at 1% of the books. They only buy 1% of the books they look at. So um, I, I was very, very lucky, very blessed. And, you know, we, we put it out there. We worked very hard to, to get people to, to understand the message. And it, it made the Wall Street uh, Journal's bestseller list recently. And we just couldn't be more more blessed and thrilled and, and most importantly grateful. And congratulations. And clearly this is a book that needed to be written. It's a topic that is so important right now in our financial straits, if you will, in America. And just honestly, people need to understand how they can work to their own strengths, make a good living, help other people. One of your your topics is um, remembering what is important, give, get, and give again, and we're going to talk about that. But it's it's a really pertinent topic, no question about it. I, I, I think one, one thing that people need to understand is that they're so much more in control of their lives than they think they are. They are. Right. They, they just have to get beyond this if-then kind of life that they lead. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I go to high school and if I get good grades and if I get a um, maybe a scholarship and if I get a college education and then if I get a good job and then if I get paid well, then I can start living my life. Well, I, I, I think of it in complete opposite terms. I think you should start out with what the then looks like. Okay. What do you want that then to look like and then work backwards towards today? Because there's a lot of different paths to getting there, uh, but you can't get to that destination. You know, I laugh with people all the time. When is the last time you, you had your car in the driveway, you were going somewhere, you put it in reverse, you backed out onto the street, put it in drive, and then said, I have no idea where I'm going. Like, where am I going? Where am I going? You know, I, I don't have a path. I don't have any idea. It's open refrigerator door syndrome, Ken. I do it all the time. <laughs> I open the refrigerator door, and all of a sudden, instant meditation, because I have no clue what I'm doing in there. My mind is completely blank. I, I, I just am of the belief that that you should always begin with the destination and work backwards from there. And that's what I try to teach teach kids so that they're not so focused on, you know, just Friday and, and getting paid and making their bills and surviving and, you know, just treading water. I, I hate it when people um, live that kind of life because, you know, you only get 90 or so years on this planet if you're lucky and, and they should all be as effective as possible to me. 
Exactly. Now, you've mentioned visualization a couple of times. Let's talk about that. I mean, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, how do you clearly visualize the life you truly desire? I know how because I do visualization all the time, and it's something I truly believe in. But I think it's maybe not something that, that a lot of people understand, and you you touched on that with the if-then. So let's dig into that a bit. Okay. Uh, I'll start with this study from the University of Virginia Tech. And one of the things they did is they took 100 people and they asked these 100 people, um, how many of you have goals? And only 20 of the 80 had a clearly defined goal. So the rest of them, you know, move them off to the side. So right, 20 of them, the 80 principle that we all know about. Yeah. 20 of the 80 remained standing. Okay. So then they said, okay, now – if you have clearly defined goals that you that you write down, okay, um, r- raise your hand. And, and only four of the 20 actually said that they clearly defined their goals and wrote them down in, in, in some place. And then they went on further and they said, okay, of you four, where are those goals right now? And only one of them said, well, I haven't posted on my bathroom uh, mirror, or I have them posted on the dashboard of my car, or I have it at my breakfast table, or whatever. And, and they they tracked those people for 10 years, and they found out that that 1% of the people made nine times more money than all the other people in in the, the study in the in the 100 people study. So if if you start with that process, understand something. This is so easy to do. You just have to do it. It's not something that is, is very difficult to do. It's not something that, in fact, we make it so simple. This is how we do it at our office. So I will grab a poster board and in and, and a good old-fashioned box of 64 Crayola crayons. Now, I don't know when the last time you held a crayon in your hand was, but the, 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 the point of having the crayon is to get you back to your most simplistic thought process when you were a kid. You picked out the colors. You were free to just create and draw and use your imagination and draw whatever or you wanted. Or eat to them. Draw. Yeah, some of us ate them. Or, yeah, or eat them, exactly. Well, they <laughs> so, smell good. <laughs> <laughs> so what I would do is I would tell them to start drawing these different categories. For example, what kind of living place would you like to have? What, what, is it an apartment in the city? Is it a condo? Is it a, a farmhouse in the country? Is it a, a residential, a suburban-type neighborhood? Draw that out. It, next, let's talk about your transportation. Are you a pickup truck person or a van person or a scooter person or an electric car person, motorcycle, whatever? Draw that out. Okay, now let's move on to your hobbies. Are you a biker or are you a, um, a runner or are you a golfer or are you, uh, you in, in exercise or whatever that might be? Um, then, then, you know, move into your hobbies. What, what type of hobbies in addition to your sport would you would you do um, if you if you were going to have a pet what would it be uh, you know a cat or a dog and if so what kind what would you name it um, get really specific and draw these things out draw out what your vacation might look like draw out what your spirituality might look like even draw out what your give back moment what your charity might be that creates an entire picture or a puzzle of of the whole um, nirvana that you think wow if I could live like that that would be really cool. Because when you do that, you're literally taking the thoughts from your brain and putting them down on paper, and there's a commitment there when you do that. 
Um, there's, a, there's a transference of commitment where you say, okay, I've taken the time to do this. It's like building a puzzle on your, on your, your living room table. The more pieces I can put in there, the clearer this picture becomes. And I can now keep that as my starting place. And I can, I can take pieces of every one of those little goals that I just drew. I can chop them up into little pieces and start getting those one at a time. Um, so you can start advancing towards that picture, advancing towards that nirvana state, if, if, that's what you, if, if that's what you want to call it. And that picture can evolve over time. But the point is, is that if you don't start with the destination or the end in mind and work backwards towards today, you're just going to be in living or stuck in this if-then almost dream world or, or wish world or hope world. And um, if you want to get where you want to go, um, that's, a, that's not exactly the place you want to be. You want to be somewhere really specific where you can see what you want and then go after it and get it. Oh, I firmly believe that. And there's nothing worse in my mind of getting up in the morning and not having any specific goal or things that you really must do or should do to further your your life goals and then going to bed at night and going, what the heck did I do today? And the answer is pretty much nothing. Yeah, I, I think people need to be a lot more selfish. And I use the word selfish not because I mean it that way, but only because I want to make a point. I think people need to start out with, when they wake up, they need to start out with me, okay? What's my exercise routine going to be today? What's my health routine, my eating routine going to be today? What is, what is my learn going to be today? I, I really think you need to start out in the morning with, you know, how am I going to better myself? And, you know, it, people will say, well, yeah, I have three kids. I can't do that. Well, that's not true because the first, the first half hour of your day is solely yours. Nobody even knows when you wake up. So if you can, if you can really focus on your me every morning and, and what, how you're going to improve yourself, you know, you're only going to be good to other people if you are really good to yourself first. That is an absolute fact. So, I encourage people to be a little selfish and talk about, you know, what's in it for me today um, as one of the first things they do. Ken, I love that. And listen, I've always said that healthy selfishness is basically self-care. Nobody is going to take care of you. You must do it on your own. Or you're going to wind up in the hospital or frazzled beyond endurance. I mean, it's you do these things to yourself. So do it the opposite way. Take care of yourself then take care of other people, and they'll take care of you. They'll help you take care of yourself. Well, you know, I, I don't mind when people say, you know, I always put my kids first, okay? I, I don't mind when they, when, when they say that, but I will say this. If you're putting your kids first at the detriment of your marriage, at the detriment of your health, at the detriment of your sanity, then you're, you're putting the kids way too first. So, um, you know, it was your decision to have children. Okay. No one else's decision but yours to have those kids. They're going to be fine if you're fine. And, and that's the point. I mean, you can be a little selfish here and a lot of moms don't want to hear that, but you can really say me first every day. Mm-hmm. What about me first? And then, and then, you know, protract that upon your kids afterwards. Perfect. I love that. So, We've got about 15 minutes. Wow. I wanted to move away from that just a little bit to the importance of leaning on a mentor. Listen, 
all people who are successful at any level have mentors. They have minds, you know, masterminds. They do visualization. They read a lot. You know, we all have things that we have a lot in common. Leaning on a mentor, when did you discover the importance of having mentors and then becoming a mentor? This is a this is a really funny story. When I was probably seven, I'm guessing, I remember being uh, at the swimming pool, the, the, the city pool, and I remember wanting to jump off the high dive. And I couldn't bring myself to do it. I mean, I just, I just couldn't bring myself to walk up those 15 rungs of ladders. <laughs> so I remember my friends were like, come on, man, you can do this. You got this. And I, I literally took 20 minutes to climb up to the top of that thing. And I must have looked over at those guys 10 times, and they were encouraging me and cheering me, and let's, let's do this. I got to the top. I, I, I stood on the diving board. I started walking out towards the end. I was scared to death, and I looked down at them, and they're like, you got this, you got this, you got this. I went to the end of the board where it's a little springy, and I was like, my heart was going to jump out of my chest, you know, and and then I looked at them, and, and they were like the same way. They were just very supportive, and I could see in their faces they wanted me to do this. They really wanted me to do this. So I, um, I jumped off the board. And, um, I, you know, they say today that the most successful people who work out are those who have friends waiting for them at the gym in the morning or in the afternoon. Um, they, 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 you talk about mentors, I think. I think almost every baseball player, every actor, every successful person who ever gave an acceptance speech for an award, they always look back at someone or some person that was highly influential in their life and they thank them, whether it was a school teacher or a music teacher or whatever. So I think the key with mentors, though, and this is the big thing, you, gotta be, you, you have to be very careful who you pick for that. Because, oh, yeah. Because that, that person needs to, they need to own what you're owning as far as a goal goes. They need to believe in your goal. They need to think that goal is going to make you a better person. They need to um, uh, really be excited for you. They need to hold you accountable when you stumble and fall because you will. Um, and, and they need to be joyful and, and, and celebratory in your completion of that goal. But then as soon as it's done, they need to look you in the, in the eye and say, okay, what's your next one? So you really got to be careful picking someone who you trust, who trusts you, who you love and respect, and, um, and, and, and have them walk down that path. And then be appreciative of them and let them know how much you're going to rely on them to get you to that across that finish line. Because mentors are great people. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's, if they're go-forward people and not, you know, conservative, no, you don't want to do that. That's too risky. Don't do that. I mean, you know, stay back here and don't, don't take those chances. I, I, don't, I don't really like those kind of mentors. I like people who say, hey, man, let's go for it. If you really want it, let's go for it together. And you know what you just described sounds more like a boss than a mentor. You know, yeah, don't do yeah. it. Let's not do that. No, that sounds risky. Let's think about this. Yeah, That's not who book, you want to have in your, your corner. In the book, I go to great lengths to discuss the difference between belonging to the Sundayers Club and belonging to the Two Dayers Club. And uh, it's a really cool analogy that I came up with, and it works really, really well. So if anybody wants to read the book, they'll, they'll get a kick out of that particular subject because 
Um, it will literally change the way you, you behave the next day after you read that. So um, I'm, I'm excited for people to get, get a hold of it. Okay, give us a hint. What is a two-dayers club? Well, if, if you've ever had someone, and, and everyone has these people in their life, and they've done it themselves, they'll say, um, you know what, someday I'm going to take that photography class, or, you know, someday we should go out to dinner, or, you know, someday I think I'm going to get out to that barn and straighten that barn out, and, 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 and you know that the fact that they said someday gives them a pass to not do it, Okay. Kind of they, like my garage. They, See, now I feel guilty. They now I have to make it a date to go clean that garage. They they put the intention out there, and they feel good about what they just said, but nothing ever happened. So my my question is always, really? Someday I'm going to clean that barn out. Really? Well, what do you mean? Is that something you really want to do? Oh, yeah, 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 I want to do that. Well, then how about we walk over there and just pull one thing out of that garage and either give it away or recycle it or throw it away? How about we do that right now? Because everybody that is a someday wants to be a two-dare. They just don't know how to cross that threshold of the very first step. You know, if there's 50 steps to cleaning out your barn, I guarantee you the hardest one is the first one. Because you have to commit yourself and you have to change your thinking from becoming a someday to a two-dare. You have to change even who you are. And, and when that happens and you take that first step, yeah, okay, now you're into it. And I can tell you that, again, you, you pull that first box of old shoes that you haven't used in years, and you pull that box out and you see, wow, there's like three square feet of really nice concrete floor in this garage I've never seen before. <laughs> you can take that box and donate it or recycle it or whatever you're going to do, and that gets you started. That's, that's step two is the very first thing you grab. So that's why I think it's so important to have, you know, clarity in that and, and, and to, to change yourself from the way you think. Um, some, when, when people say, hey, you know what, someday let's go to lunch, man. I'll go, okay, I'll get my calendar out, and then I'll open my phone and go, how's next Tuesday? And they look at you like, holy cow, um, he's really doing this. Well, yeah, <laughs> We talked about it. Now, if they don't want to go to lunch, you'll get, well, let me check my schedule, blah, 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 if, if they were just being nice. But if they do, you put it together, you go to lunch, and guess what they always say? Man, you know what? That was a lot of fun. We should do that more often. <laughs> exactly. I did that this weekend. So I guess what you're saying is me opening my garage door and wincing and slamming the door shut is not going to get the job done. Probably not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It really does need to get done, so I am going to put it on my calendar. And I'll email you and say, it's done. And you can say, good girl. Would, I'll would tell you. Mind? Huh? Go ahead. Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you real quick. The gal that was helping me organize the notes, when she got to that section, she was – now, she's a published writer and an author. And, um, and uh, she went home, and she got her family together, and she said – I read these notes off of this, these notes that I was sent from, from Ken about this book. And our family is this family. We are the someday's. So we're going to sit down right now and we're going to plan that vacation where they went out to Yellowstone oh. and drove around in an RV. And they nice. planned that whole vacation. And they got it done and they loved it. And she came back and she said, I can't believe that I am a highly educated, you know, very experienced uh, author, writer, consultant, whatever, and 
And even I was guilty of that. So she was like, that paragraph changed their family's life. And, and that chapter, and, and the best part is, is now they already have their trip to Scotland planned for next year to go visit some family. And it's just one of those things where it's just an eye opener, but it's, it's, it's a simple analogy. I actually use two different country clubs. Like if you were going to one club called the Sundare club or the, another club called the T-Dare club, how would those be different? So it, it's a pretty neat way to, to get off your, off your couch and start making some stuff happen. So we don't know what we don't know, do we? Sometimes it's just as easy as somebody pointing out, and you go, oh, well, duh. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Okay, so one of the, the chapters that I have open, there's there's a title, Five Steps to Achieving Any Goal, and I think this is important, and I wanted to cover it. So you, what are the five steps? Do you mind just kind of touching on those? Well, the the first thing is to congratulate yourself because you're a different thinker now. Uh, you know, the, the first step to any goal is realizing that I haven't been setting them and I need to change and I need to, I need to take control of my life. So I want you to sit down and congratulate yourself because you're now, you're now, um, if you're, if your name is Mary, you're now Mary 2.0, or if you're Tom, you're Tom 2.0. I mean, you're, you're a different person. So that's the first thing to do. The second thing to do is to sit down and do what I said earlier, which is, very clearly define a goal that you want, that you have to get done. You want to get it done. You need to get it done. You have to get it done. It can't be something that's just a hope, a prayer, a wish, or a dream, that kind of thing. It needs to be something you have to do. So step two is to clearly de- to define that goal. Step three is to actually um, figure out the steps it will take to get it. In other words, I, I want to pay off a $3,000 visa. Okay, so um, can I afford 30 bucks a week? If so, I'll have it paid off in two years. 30 a week, 52 weeks, $1,500 times two, 3,000. If I can afford $60 a week, I can get it paid off in a year. Um, I do a lot of that here at the office with my employees. So that the next step is to clearly define the path. Okay. Um, no, step number four is to put it into action. I, I've I've congratulated myself. I have clearly defined a goal. I've clearly defined the 50 or 60 or 100 steps that it needs to take me to get there. Um, now I'm going to put it into action. It's like, it's like when you hit the, the, uh, the submit button on a computer or you hit, you hit the, the, the key for your car. You're starting the engine. And the way you do that is you go, if it's a monetary thing, you go to your payroll clerk and you say, I want you to take $30 a week out of my check, and I want you to put it in this account that I have no access to. I can't get my hands on it. I can't blow it if something happens because I really need to get this goal. So you're putting your goal into, into action. Okay. And that's kind of the set it, don't sweat it part of the thing. And and then finally, um, I think you need to do what we, we, what we mentioned about is, is picking a really trusted and um, a really effective mentor, someone to share the goal with. And, uh, I go to great lengths to talk about how important sharing a, a goal is, whether it's working out or jumping off a high dive or whatever it might be. So those are the five steps. And I can tell you that they are so successful. They work so well that after you're done with your first one, you're going to be probably setting two or three goals concurrently at the same time and you move on and your life just becomes this awesome 
exercise in anticipation, okay? Like you anticipate a vacation. Once, once it's in motion, once you've set the goal, and it's just and all it is is time now, you know, any goal can be hit if you adjust the time. Where people fail is they don't give themselves the right pieces and the right, the right time to do those pieces in. So if it's a goal that's going to take a little longer, just make it a little longer. I mean, I set a goal to go to Scotland to play golf, and I set it three years out because I was younger, and we wanted to save the money to go do it, me and my buddies, and we finally did it. So it, it, it's all about getting that, that, those five steps down, and you will be amazed at how effective your life will be and how you live this anticipatory life and how much better it is um, to live in a, a life in that way. And see, Ken, I didn't mention this at the top of the show, but we are in a new year. This is January. And I don't know about you, but New Year resolutions, oh, give me a break. But this is something very, very different that we're talking about. We're talking about visualizing the life that you desire, creating those goals, and following through with certainty and defining success for your life. Those are different. I think, in many ways from saying, yeah, yeah, I'm going to lose 20 pounds this year. Okay. How are you going to do it? So this is an important chat that we're having in January. I think it is because I would like for people to drop the word New Year's and just yeah. say resolution. Okay. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to adopt a New Year's resolution. No. You're going to adopt a resolution. And if you look up the word resolution, it means resolute. And resolute means you have to do it. I mean, it's something you're just going to do. So uh, that, to me, is, is, is the big difference here. Um, it, it's not a matter of turning the page, turning the clock, turning the calendar. It's a matter of what do you want? Because we overuse the word goal more than any other word in the English language, I think, other than awesome. <laughs> and and um, people, if I hand them a crayon and say, draw a goal, they can't draw that, you know, they can't draw because a goal is just a very vague term for something specific that you have in your mind. You hand them a crayon and you say, draw your, your next, your next car. Boom. They can draw that, you know, as well as they can. So it's just one of those things that uh, I think is very important. And, and again, anybody can do this. It, it doesn't matter your financial state. doesn't matter how smart you think you are or aren't. Anybody can do this. Exactly. And listen, my vision board, I can't draw anything. I'm a creative. I can build websites in my sleep. I know color. My hangman looks like he has scoliosis. I can't draw. <laughs> I really can't. So I have to do it the old-fashioned way and the new-fashioned way with a printer. <laughs> well, there we have there's, it. there's another way to do it, and uh, there's some very creative people that, that are doing this um, here at the office. You can literally go through magazines and cut out pictures of the things that you want, yeah. Yeah. And, and you and you paste them on a piece of paper, and then you put that in one of those little eight dollar frames that you get at the at the local store, and you just frame it. And every time you get one, you take a black marker and you just X it off. And and I have when, a cork when board. Yeah, my cork board does that, the same thing. When you're done with that, go make another one. The reason I like to keep those is because I want to have a constant reminder of all the goals that I had over the years and, oh, and the ones that I hit and the ones that I set because I think that builds a long-term confidence in you that you can, go, you can go take on the world and do whatever you want to do based on the history here. 
And you know the thing is, and I know we're running out of time here, if you don't keep track of your successes or, you know, where you kind of, you know, went down the stream and did something a little bit different, you're not going to remember it for the most part. You're going to keep going, well, what did I get done today? But if you keep a journal or if you keep, like say, this this board, you can track it and you can go, oh, well, good for me. Listen, Ken, we are just about out of time, and this has been a fascinating conversation. Where can do well? Two things. Is there anything else you want my audience to know and to kind of leave with? And where can they find you? A couple of things. Number one, you can find me at KenRusk.com, or you can follow me at uh, um, KenRuskOfficial on on all the social channels. Um, we we recently created a course and. Just so everybody out there knows, my life has been very blessed. And, again, I've been very successful. I'm very grateful for that. And to whom much is given, much is expected. I I learned that from a gentleman a long time ago, and I will remember that the rest of my life. So I I give a a lot of money to charity every year to various charities like Make-A-Wish and Mom's House and and things like um, Junior Achievement and, and that kind of stuff. So what I would tell you is if you buy this book, uh, you know, I tend to take all the profits from my book and donate them to charity. So I'm not in this to sell books. I'm in this to help other people improve their lives. So I currently have a program going where if you go on the website and you buy this course, because sometimes I believe that books aren't just trophies on a shelf. You, you need to do this. So if you buy this course, you will not only help yourself, it's, it's $99 and you get a free book with it. But for everyone that's sold, I donate one to a kid in need. Um, so it, it, know that if you're helping yourself, whether you buy the book or the course, you're going to be helping somebody else at the same time. And I just want everybody to know that um, I appreciate all the support I have gotten. The, the whole bestseller status was amazing to me. And um, I just thank everybody for um, joining me and helping people change their lives. Ken, thank you. It has been really wonderful speaking with you. And I've have the book. You ought to see it. I've got little sticky notes all over it. I've been reading the heck out of it, and I'll read it again. You know, I, it's one of these books that, well, all books to me. I mean, I'm a voracious reader, but all of the books that I have in my office have been gifted to me by my guests who have written books. And they get read over and over again. I'll think, oh, where did I say? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I run to my bookcases, and I grab the book, and off I go again. So, I hope people will buy the book and that they will read the book somehow or another. Borrow it if you have to and, you know, look at your course. So it has been wonderful speaking with you. And I thank you for all of the terrific tips and the advice that you shared with our audience. And before we, excuse, losing my voice, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes, Audible, anywhere you consume your business podcasts, you seriously cannot hit a, throw a stick on the internet without hitting your partner in success radio. And I thank my guests for that. So just look for your partner in success radio and take us along on your success journey. Ken, again, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Appreciate you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far reaching podcast, Contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.